Hi, this is Rodney Lim, owner and clinical supervisor of Advanced Counseling and Communicating Love. The purpose of my podcast channel is to help you progress, overcome challenges, and succeed in those things you'd like to accomplish or learn. Over the last 27 years in practice, as a licensed clinical counselor and marriage and family therapist, I have worked with a variety of clients with many struggles, but I have found there are three main areas that people can use a little help in. Mental health, including anxiety and depression, marriage and relationships, and pornography challenges and other things that cause difficulties in relationships. Each week, I will tackle one of these areas. So whatever you are struggling with, you can listen to that specific podcast area. I hope to give you real tools and suggestions that work. I hope to educate you on how to support loved ones and how to work on relationships. And most of all, I hope this is informative and helpful to you. Be sure to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, where you will find lots of great resources. You can also join me for a live webinar every Thursday if you'd like to ask questions. Go to my website, communicatinglove.com, for all the information. Now, on to the good stuff. What is anxiety with the COVID-19 going around right now with the pandemic? There's a lot of anxiety. There's so many questions that we don't know. We just don't know how long it's going to last. And the unknown to the human psyche is about one of the most anxiety-producing things there is. When we're in a familiar situation, even though it's painful or, you know, just less than desirable, we often will prefer the less desirable known thing, the things that we're familiar with, more than the unknown. And so it's important to just be aware of what triggers that. So the basic principle of anxiety on a psychological standpoint is that we have fear of the future. Now, in the old days, if you talk about the caveman, if you're walking through the woods and an animal jumps out at you, it's eat or you want to survive. And so that fight or flight response that triggers in us, that's part of our programming as human beings growing up. That's a common thing to be understood. But the way that works in us oftentimes cause anxiety because we're not out in the woods, we're not being chased, and our imagination can create that anxiety. As our anxiety goes wild, that creates more and more anxiety, and that builds up. So in the counseling world and cognitive behavior therapy, the CBT, to understand that our thoughts create our feelings, and our feelings drive the actions that we take, which then bring the results that we get in our life. And so if we can be aware of the perceptions that we have that create the thoughts. So as we go through the world, there's everything to see, but it's impossible to process and to think about everything that we see. So our brain selects those things that we have experience with, that are most important for us to pay attention to. And so we pattern our life over the choices that we make, and those become habits and patterns. And so maybe when we were little, someone jumped around the corner and scared us, frightened us, and that triggered a response. 
of fear in us. And so even without thinking about it going forward as we grow up, we might be triggered with anxiety at a subconscious level without even realizing it, that when we're walking around the corner, that part of our survival system is triggering with anxiety, saying, oh, there's something or someone might be jumping around that corner. And so if we're aware of that, then we can begin to reprogram our body that it's okay to walk around corners and someone's not going to be there. You know, we can be more alert that way and also through repetition consciously that goes into the subconscious of recognizing that there's not going to be someone jumping out there all the time. So the anxiety is fear about what might happen. It's fear of things that could happen in the future. The studies that I've read in the past show that about 98 to 99% of everything we ever fear never happens, never comes to pass. And so if we can remember to think about that when we're feeling, go back to changing our thoughts and that perception that can focus on that things are calm, looking around our environment, we look around, there's nothing to really be scared of right now in this very moment. So right now in the literature, in counseling world, therapy world, it's known as mindfulness. And so being mindful of our environment, it's not a big threat. Of course, right now, out in public, it's invisible. The threat is invisible. So that's why we have the rules of distancing and not being in big crowds until that bug goes away. And so different things can uh, trigger that anxiety. So fear of the future. So we might have fear that we could get sick. Well, it's important to recognize, but not all anxiety is bad. A lot of anxiety is good because as long as that anxiety helps us prepare to be safe, then that's a good level of anxiety. If you're walking on a mountaintop and you see a cliff and you walk close to that cliff, having anxiety about falling over is a good thing as long as it keeps you away from the edge, keeps you safe. But again, there's that balance of that anxiety important to approach safely. So it takes a lot of faith sometimes to stretch that. I remember back in the military, I served in the military and army, and I went to learn how to repel. Our assault school, we had to slide down a rope outside a helicopter day and night. And the first time going out on a wooden plank, stepping over the edge, it was very scary. Lots of anxiety, but it's trusting the training of safety that even though it wasn't a natural thing to do, having faith and trust in the ropes that I was connected to, trust with the knots that I was connected properly, that uh, things were safe as long as I followed the certain rules. And so that is one way to be able to reduce anxiety is to make sure that you have safety things in place. That safety relates in a lot of different ways. Physically, when we're physically safe and we are mindful of that, then that reduces anxiety. And so that's an important thing. So what happens when we let our imaginations go 
wild that continued thinking about what could happen, what might happen. Again, that's good to a point of preparation, but beyond that, it can get out of control. And when we do that so much, then the brain goes into overdrive. And as that goes into overdrive, then that's what creates a panic attack. And that's a very severe level of anxiety with fear that things are happening. It's our imagination takes us so into the scenario of what might happen. We're actually living the trauma, what we're imagining, as if we're actually in it. And that's good news and bad news. Of course, when it comes to anxiety, that's bad news when it, it gets us stuck in a different thing or thinking about certain things. And so that's too much anxiety. But understanding that that's how our mind works and our subconscious mind, we can use that to our advantage, is that we can imagine being safe. We can imagine being healthy and well. We can imagine our immune system boosting to be strong enough to kill any virus or any foreign material, any foreign germs. Through our imagination, we can work up that the energy in our subconscious mind, that that can actually make a difference. So our imagination is very powerful, and how you use that helps us do well or not so well. So just being aware of that, having different perceptions, thinking about it differently, and then you can get different results. In another episode sometime, I'll talk more about the hypnosis, how the imagination works with that. But in brief right now, it's just knowing that with our imagination, we can create alternate realities. And indeed, we all do create different realities than what's really before us. You know, with anxiety, we're creating a fearful environment when it's not there. So being mindful, we can create connecting that, hey, it is safe and it can be peaceful. But even in unsafe places or seemingly unsafe situations, we can, with our imagination, we can tone down by focusing our mind and our heart we can tone down our anxiety and we can be confident depending on what we focus our mind on. That can reduce anxiety a lot. So some things I wanted to cover with that anxiety uh, along with fear of the future. When we have a lot of trauma, that often can lead to nightmares or bad dreams. And so that's very overworking imagination if it's a real trauma event, then the dream is called a night terror. It's a little different, but it's in a way it's the same thing as our subconscious mind is processing possible scenarios to figure out how we can be safe. So one of the simple and very powerful ways, and I'll be saying this many times, is that you can do for free well, nearly, just need a pencil and some paper to write down the dream. Those things that are really anxiety-producing for you, when they're bouncing around in the head, that going over and over, that obsessing about that is what stirs up a lot of anxiety. If it's a real event, then the mind is trying to understand and process that. And so by taking that and writing it down in a journal, 
then that's to take it out of the head and put it on paper and that puts it to rest. Now, most people that's okay with, if you're not a writer at all, there's other ways you can do that. Uh, you can paint pictures, write poems, write music. You could get some Play-Doh, sculpt it, or just play in the mud with that thought and feeling. The main thing and the principle is that when we have those feelings that our brain's trying to process so much, we need to connect our feelings with our thoughts. So that's where the emotional and psychological healing comes from, is connecting our head and heart. And by doing that, that helps bring resolve to that. So in the extreme cases, um, working with several individuals who have had some severe trauma such as rape or some terrible auto accident or something and if they dream about that it disturbs the sleep so when they write that out in a journal that then puts that to rest i had a woman who had nightmares for over 20 years and had not slept all night for over 20 years and when she wrote that out the parts that she wrote out, she no longer dreamt anymore. And so all she had to do was add the pieces that she dreamt about the next night that she had not written about. She added those into her journal. By the third night, she was able to get all the pieces that her mind was processing, and she no longer had those nightmares anymore. And so having had more than one experience, she had to write more experiences down. But when she got caught up on those experiences, having written them all down, she was then able to sleep and what a glorious day that was that she was able to sleep all night long after 20 years not getting adequate rest it made a big difference on her anxiety and her depression sleep is a big part of that so that goes with anxiety and depression sleep is a big part when we have adequate rest our body can function properly and completely and so that's important so writing a journal, feeling the feelings and expressing those. Uh, and that's what therapy really is all about is a chance to do that. And that's very helpful. Sometimes that's not enough. So there's a lot of other things that needs to happen. But a lot of times journaling does cover at least the dream part. Of course, if we have a lot of anxiety, another great part of reducing that energy, all that nervous energy, is the exercise. You know, right now, I think a lot more people are having the opportunity to go for a walk, get some fresh air, and I hope that you take advantage of that. And not just now, but when we get back into other routines, to make that a priority because it's just good for health. 20 minute walk a day keeps most of the doctor away. It is estimated that over 85 to 90% of hospital stays has to do with stress. Of course, that would be a little different right now with all the virus. But if you can manage your stress, the anxiety, then you're less apt to get sick and less apt to be needing hospitalization. Another thing I wanted to mention was breath. When we get anxious, we tend to breathe less and less, shorter and shorter breaths especially a person with panic is like almost hyperventilating <laughs> a short breath and it's a dying person that only breathes very shallow 
that shallow breathing is something you can consciously do different by focusing on your breath, taking long and slow breaths. That relieves stress and reduces anxiety. In fact, it's physiologically impossible to breathe long and slow and have a panic attack at the same time. So if you feel like you're going to have a panic attack, focusing on breathing slow and long, it intervenes and causes the body to calm down. It's just the way the body works. As you breathe in slow and you breathe out slow, it's uh, very gentle, just very gentle breath. It's not you have to force it out, just very gentle. If you have had a candle and you're blowing on the flame of the candle, you're just bending it over slightly, just enough to bend it a little bit. Uh, don't want to blow it out, just long and slow breath. So those are a few things about breathing. So that, that helps reduce anxiety. There's a lot of physiological causes of anxiety and then the psychological ones. So it's important to be able to discover what the cause of the anxiety is, is important because when you know what the cause is, that's the best cure for that. If it's physical, the anxiety won't be gone until it's really physical. That being said, I recently had a man I worked with in the office who had a lot of anxiety and just over the top. He developed so much anxiety, he couldn't even leave his home, hardly. I mean, he made it to the office. And so working with him, it was in talking with him as part of the history, knowing that he didn't have anxiety most of his life shows that his anxiety was a physical cause because it had developed suddenly. He just had the anxiety for like two years and he was over 50. And so that kind of anxiety will not completely go away through psychological means. So you have to discover physically what you can do to reduce that. But also doing psychological means to that cognitive work, being mindful of your surroundings, consciously focusing on calming and breathing slow, those kinds of things can intervene with anxiety. Even if there's a physical cause, physically paying attention to that can reduce a lot of that anxiety. If we don't do anything, then that physical anxiety expands and grows and gets bigger and bigger. So it's important to do what we can do. So that's helpful. Now, depression, that's depression, anxiety mentioned before. Those are very common. It's said that three-fourths of all Americans will experience that. Sometime in their life, it's estimated one-fourth of our population, at least here in the United States. There's at least one-fourth is depressed, clinically depressed and about one in three are on some type of medication. So that's a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. If that's something you're willing to work at, then that can be reduced. Medication can be a helpful thing, and you'd talk to your doctor about that. But the studies show that in almost all cases anyway, that if we can regularly exercise, like going out for a walk 20 minutes a day, if we do that every day, that actually does better 
than any medication for depression, okay? So if you have simple depression, then exercise gets that better than anything else. Some depression is normal and healthy. For example, if we have a loved one that passes away, it's very normal to have grief. And part of grief includes depression. And so that's very healthy to grieve. And to feel depression is very normal and part of being human. The thing that we all need to watch out for, though, as we're grieving is to pay attention. If we continue to grieve and grieve and grieve and we repeat that over and over, then that can become a pattern of depression. And we want to not do that. So the rule of thumb is anything like that that is about six months or longer then can turn into clinical depression. So it goes from a situation to physical. And so if you have a situation that causes anxiety or causes the depression and that that situation is not resolved in six months, then there are other things have to be done to avoid that going from situational to physical. So extra vitamins, diet management, that's a very important part to avoid situational depression becoming clinical depression. And that being said, even if you have clinical depression, uh, oftentimes that can be reversed through diet and exercise, through proper nutrition. Uh, a person who has been depressed can follow those uh, rules and the depression can go away. Probably 80% of the population, just some simple changes. There are some deeper situations with fibromyalgia and other autoimmune diseases that take longer to work out of. It takes more fine-tuning and more coaching details than I can share nutritionally. You'd have to work with a nutritionist and doctor for that. But that, that can be reversed, a lot of anxiety and depression through a lot of that. So vitamins is a very important part of that. Sleep. Why is it that we need to sleep so much when we're depressed? Because being depressed is a lot of work, actually. Because situationally, again, I'm not talking about clinical depression. There's other causes of that. But for most Americans, for most any human being, really, a lot of depression is situational. And so depression often is a result of extended anger. We get angry about a situation that we feel helpless and hopeless about. Where is all that energy to go to? That's why exercise is valuable because it releases a lot of that anger. But sometimes we're not even aware that we're really angry or feeling helpless and hopeless. And so it's important to think about that and to understand how we may be triggered that way. And so when we get angry about something, we have choices. We don't need to be helpless. Now, there's always, always something that we can do. Now, some people say, well, well why, how can you say that? It's because maybe we can't do anything directly about the situation, 
that makes us angry. You know, things that we watch on the news or hear, it's certainly out of our control. We cannot control it, but we can always influence that. If we can write a letter or make a phone call, that's something that we can do. There's something we can always do about everything as say a prayer. And so we can bless that person that they will wise up and that they will change their ways, whatever it is that they may be doing that might be triggering our anger. So knowing that we can do something reduces our anxiety and reduces the anger that can cause depression. Now, as far as anxiety, when it comes to like trauma, there's a terrible story of one time there was a school bus load of kids that were kidnapped. And this guy took these kids and literally took them in the bus, hijacked the bus, got rid of the bus driver, but he took this bus out and buried the bus. Now these kids were buried in the bus. Now the reason this is an important story because there's things to learn from that. Now the kids were rescued out of the bus. Parents started calling. The kids weren't showing up on time and so they started backtracking where the bus was last seen and then they found the bus and they, they dug the bus out. So the kids were buried for just a couple hours. But what was significant learning from that experience is I can't remember how many kids were there, but let's just say like 30 kids. After that event, all of the kids were very traumatized, as you can imagine, from this experience, except for two. Two of the kids were not traumatized. And so the question becomes, why not? And that's because while they were buried, most of the kids, they sat down and they cried which would be a natural response, and they felt hopeless and helpless. Even though it was impossible for them to dig themselves out, two of the kids believed with their imagination that they could. And because they thought they could, they kept playing with the windows, and they were able to get one of the windows open. And with that, they were started to dig out the window. Even though it was further than they could have managed, their action, doing what they could do, working toward what they believed was a possibility, relieved them of any trauma. It was an experience that was certainly stressful, but there was no lasting trauma with those two kids that came up with an action plan. So that's one of the valuable things that we can learn from that experience is coming up with action plans. So there's a question that comes up, can our pets sense something that's going on in the world and acquire anxiety? I believe absolutely that's true. So that's good to take the dogs for a walk as well. <laughs> Go relieve a lot of that stress. So yeah, pets are very sensitive. I guess I don't have the clinical knowledge of that, but understanding that animals are very tuned into human emotion and therapeutically that's another part of depression and anxiety treatment is to have a pet the act of caring for a pet 
It also helps reduce anxiety and is often a relief of depression as well. And so animals are tuned into the anxiety that we have. There's been in, on the science show, Nature was interesting how some of the things that they have reported, I remember seeing where animals, they're tuned in on different levels than even we are. Years ago, I had a sister that was in a flood. Before the flood happened, within the two weeks, animals were observed. There were cats taking their kittens to the top of trees and bringing their kittens up and putting them in the tops of trees and birds going up higher in the tops of trees and other animals getting restless, escaping, going up to higher ground. And that was even before the flood happened, as an example. So there's just a lot of things that God has created in animals that we don't understand, but they are tuned into the earth in different ways than we are. Sometimes that's one way is to pay attention to animal life, to avoid uh, tragedy at times. So as far as routines, that's depending on the kind of anxiety. Routines are very helpful for ourselves and for our pets. I had clients uh, talking yesterday. Uh, they were talking about since the routine is all different, uh, they started walking their dog a lot more. But even though they had awakened at 4 a.m., I said, hey, you could go for a walk at 4 o'clock in the morning, get a really good start on the day. And they, they said, oh, no, I don't want to get my dog used to going that early in the morning. <laughs> so it's important. The routines are something that we take command of and make sure it's our routines and not the animals. The animals can adjust to that. Of course, there's some give and take always there. So great. Thanks for the question. Any topic, not just anxiety, depression, we'll be working on different things. So the opposite of hopeless and helpless. I'm planning to have a whole series on what makes human beings special and unique and, and wonderful. There's the principle of that which we focus on expands. So if there are things that are hopeless and helpless, or at least they seem to be, we want to acknowledge that so we can address it and release it. But what we want to do then is focus on what we want, what we want to create. So the opposite of hopeless and helpless is that there's always something that we can do. We can do something good for others. And in fact, that's another great treatment for depression. One of the best is to go give a service to someone else. Giving service and focusing on gratitude. There was a study, uh, recent studies on optimism is that anybody can be an optimist if they will work at it. They did a pretest on individuals that were pessimistic in the scale, but by getting them to do certain things, then they became optimistic. And so those things that helped them become optimistic was a habit of every day, starting the day with gratitude and by the end of the day, writing in a journal every day, three things that they were most grateful for in the day. And by looking for things to be grateful for and writing down those things to be grateful for, that created the mind to be thinking more about looking and finding 
those things that were wonderful. And by writing those points of gratitude, that actually was a good antidepressant as well. So it's good to know that we can be the master of our life by focusing on positive things. And giving service is a great place to start. It doesn't have to be big. Uh, it can be as little as giving a smile to someone, walking from the car to the grocery store, picking up a piece of garbage, throwing it away, uh, give a quick phone call or text to someone. Those are great things to focus on, ways to help in each other's. There is a great website, justserve.org. That's, I believe, uh, all through the United States at least, opportunities to find where you can go give service. It's a good thing to focus on. So justserve.org, I encourage you to go there. So thank you for your questions, and I welcome you back next week and look forward to sharing more with you. It just gets better and better and better. Thanks for listening today. I hope you find this information and tools helpful. Please subscribe to the podcast channel so you never miss an episode. And be sure to join us next week for more great information. And of course, don't forget to check out my website, communicatinglove.com, for more information on my live webinar and other great resources and videos. Until next week, onward and upward.